0: Good morning, Anthem. That's where you say good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, well, as we are coming to the end of 1 of Peter, we, we have a theme that Peter is kind of uh, tying off because throughout this letter, Peter has been saying uh, that he's been addressing the church as exiles. And, and, and by that, we mean like this world is not our home. Um, that we're strangers in a strange land. We're just pilgrims passing through. There's so many ways you can put it. But that's ultimately uh, the nature of our lives. And, and so Peter's addressing us, reminding us of that. And last week when Peter was talking about one of the realities that has actually come up several times on the last two chapters is just the reality of suffering and the reality of navigating this world with the ups and downs of life. And At the core of it, Peter comes back to again and again that we are to entrust ourselves to God. At the core of what it means to navigate life in this world is to learn what it means to actually trust God in every moment and every day and every season of life. And and Peter does something today as we come to this will be the second to last passage that we'll be looking at. Uh, He he transitions out of in the last part of chapter 4 of saying that when suffering comes, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good, to entrust yourselves. And then he comes to chapter 5 and he says, so, and now remember in the original Greek Bible or, or in these letters, there, there were no chapter breaks. And, and so this would have flowed right out of it. So he says, entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing good, so I exhort the elders among you. So because of this reality, because I want you to be able to entrust yourselves to God, you need to do something actually to help you entrust yourselves to God, to actually walk every day trusting and believing in God and not living functionally with your life as if God is not real. In other words, what's gonna, this flows out of what Peter said last week, which is if we want to have lives that are entrusted to God, then Peter says you need to have leaders in your life who point you to Him. Because the reality is that our lives, we are going to follow someone's lead. We're going to follow someone's wisdom. We are going to follow someone. The question is, where will they point us? Leadership points by its very nature. It points us to someone, to something, to an ideology, whatnot. But it's not a question of where will we follow someone, but where will we be pointed And what Jesus, or what Peter says is we need leaders in our lives who point us to Jesus. This passage addresses, as when we read it, it addresses church leadership, um, which is not one, the most exciting topic, right? Like, oh, yay, I'm excited. (laughs) Uh, But also, I I know when I bring it up, as we'll come to a little bit later, it raises some of you cringe uh, when you read this. Uh, because we are in a time, when, and again, I'm going to be addressing this quite at length because Peter does, uh, we live in a time where we've been hurt by church leadership. Um, and, and so that will be something that we have to address. I feel that coming to it. In fact, actually, uh, I, if I seem right now like I'm a little low-key, it's because this, this topic is really, for me, a, a very emotionally heavy topic. And so, having already preached there once, if I could, I would hit the replay. I'm like, if I could hologram myself from the first service, I probably would, um, because this is, for me, such a weighty topic. It's so important that we get this right as the church. And so, Peter's talking here about the fact that he's exhorting the elders, the pastors, the leaders... And what's interesting here is this would have been a circular letter, and you imagine the letter comes to the church, and the church gets together, and they read it, and Peter says, okay, I'm going to exhort the elders, the pastors among you. And so it'd be like me reading it to the church and going, now I'm going to exhort the pastors here, right? So Peter, one, is addressing the pastors here, but at the same time, he's purposefully done it within this letter for the whole church to hear. Because there's something significant about how we as a church view leadership and how we engage with it. And I think one of the reasons why we, uh, maybe a word picture to capture why this is so difficult in our day, because I think we have certain things we assume about church leadership and the role of church leadership in our lives in the modern day. Largely, I think we assume that we're, church leaders are just kind of like the center of attention or that the point of church leadership is the kind of point to our will, our path. Our plan. A word picture that came to mind this week was um, so I've I've done a lot of weddings as a pastor over the years, and I remember a few years into doing weddings, it started to I started to realize that when I would walk into people's homes. There would be, you know, the pictures from their wedding ceremony up on the mantle, or I would start getting all of these, like once a week, I get one of these, where it's on my like Facebook feed or whatever, you know, like the four years ago, this was happening, right? And there will be a picture of me with like, there's the couple, right? They're like saying their vows, or they're like holding up the bouquet, or like they're being pronounced, and right in the center of all these pictures is moi, right? And it's super, and and here's the thing, whenever I've gone to people's homes, and it's like on the mantle place, and I'm like, oh! Uh, like, and here, the reason why I always notice it is because it's usually not very flattering because I'm usually, like, one, over the years as a pastor, I've just kind of slowly balded, so my head's always down, and so I look, at am like, ah, oh, like, you know, the sun's glaring off of it or whatnot, and, or I'm, I'm, I'm down, I'm, like, mid-sentence, right, like, they're cheering, and the photographer's focused on them and, like, getting that moment, right, Well, I'm in the back saying something, like, mm-hmm. Like that, it, almost all the pictures. I'm like, I'm in an awkward position, like with a Bible, or it's like Tales from the Crip, right? Or I'm just like speaking. I'm like, <laughs> like I have so many awkward. And here's the thing, though, when I I I'll bring it up, right? Like I see the photo, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> look at me, and they're just like, I didn't even notice you were in the photo. Like, over and over. I've never had anyone when they said, they're like, yeah, yeah, I was kind of like, thanks for ruining the moment, Matt. <laughs> like, that's, that's going in the family album 200 years from now, there you'll be, right? Uh, but here's, here's the reason why I bring that up, because the, why don't they notice me? Because while I'm in the center of the picture, I am not the point. I'm not the center of attention. I'm, 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 I'm in fact, actually, if anything, my role is to point further to them, I'm I'm usually, I'm looking down at a Bible and and I'm looking down at a Bible and I'm reading it because why? Because this is the source of what this thing is happening between them. And I think it's a really valuable picture of the role that church leadership is meant to play in the Christian life. Church leaders, while being at the center of, in the midst of everything, we, we, we really are, we're in a lot of big life moments and whatnot, we're at the center of everything that's happening, but at the same time, we are not the point, we are not the center of attention. In fact, what leaders are meant to do is we are meant to point to someone greater. We are meant to point to a greater reality. Church leaders, and what Peter's going to show us here is that we need leaders in our life, and I'm going to talk about what that even means for me as a pastor. We need to have those in our life who point us to Jesus. And here's the thing, if church leaders, if the culture of the church doesn't point to Jesus, it's going to point to man. So what we're going to look at first is we're going to look at Leadership that points to God, then leadership that points to man, and then how, if we have a church where we're cultivating that, where leadership is healthy, what happens is we begin as a body to shepherd one another in that same way and point one another to Jesus. It's profoundly transformative to a church culture. So we're going to, before I get ahead of myself, though, let's pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we live in a time where, uh, Lord, these uh, topics... And talking about them, Lord, we we don't know what to make of them, and Lord, we just want to respond to them out of our our experiences. And so, Lord, I know that in this room today, there there are all kinds of responses to this. Right now, all kinds of um, feelings in our gut, Um, Lord, taking deep breaths, things that are happening in our body that are just reminding us of the fact that there's hurt here, or there's hope here, or there's just confusion or don't know what to think here. And so, Lord, would you speak? Lord, would you show us how we can follow you? Lord, would you even exhort me as I speak your word? Lord, would you exhort all of us? And Spirit, would you help us walk away more deeply focused and following Jesus? In this time of exile, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, leadership, that points to God. Look at verse 1. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. So he's, he's addressing the elders. So imagine I'm reading it. So I'm exhorting the pastors among us now. And I can point out who those guys are, right? As a fellow elder. So Peter says, I'm an elder as well. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, first, I should just unpack, what what is an elder here, right? Some of you are going, you're using elder, pastor, what's going on? Are these just like older people in the church, right? (laughs) Is that who Peter's talking about? Well, the way we would, there are several ways to understand. Here's the way that we understand the role of an elder in the church. We understand that the terms for elder or overseer or pastor or shepherd are all interchangeable they're all meant to talk to the leaders of the local church. And the reason for this is that there are verses in the New Testament where they're used interchangeably. I could unpack those, I'm not going to right now, Uh, but those are used interchangeably. And so the word for elder is the word presbytos, it's where we get the word for Presbyterian. Uh, The word for bishop is the word for uh, where we get, or sorry, overseer is the word where we get the word for bishop. In the english language right and there's a certain episcopal is the greek word for that where it comes from um and we get that kind of church governance in other words all of our denominations are largely named off of who's in charge well how's the governance work in the church And how we understand it is that those are all actually terms referring to the same individual. The word for shepherd is used where we get our word for pastor in the English language. So we largely, in evangelicalism and whatnot, we just use the term pastor generally. But in the New Testament, these terms are interchangeable, and they can be used that way. So that's why we use them interchangeably in that way. There are times when I will come up here and I will refer to myself as an elder here at Anthem. There are other times when I come up here and I refer to myself as a pastor. I think the slide up there said something like pastor for teaching and equipping, right? And that's because I, I am of three elders right now, one of three, and next week we'll be presenting, I'll go back into this, three other men to be for a vote by the membership to be added as elders. Uh, even at that time, I'll be the only one who's an elder who is paid to full-time be a, what we think of as a pastor. Okay. So but they at the same time we will refer to them as elder or pastor as well. So you may have been confused by some of that language. Why are you referring to a guy who's not full-time in ministry? He does something else, his bills are paid elsewhere. Why is he referred to as a pastor? We do that intentionally because we believe what the New Testament presents is that there is meant to be a plurality of men who are your pastors. Some of them look like full-time pastors in the way we Tend to understand them in church world. But also there are elders and pastors who are not on staff at the church, and they are also your pastors who are caring for you and whatnot. I'll unpack what that looks like. But what, So that's just a little bit of the terminology. We'll come back to it. But why does Peter here address elders? Why why are they even important? Well, Peter seems to say, he seems to be essentially saying, with the way he phrases this, that you are, we need you, elders, you need men in the church who are living out and embodying and defending specific realities that are at the heartbeat, the core of what it means to live the Christian life, of what it means to follow Jesus. So this is what I mean. He says, as a fellow elder witness and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, the first reality. He says, you are a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You have seen the need for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, you as an elder, you live your life in such a way that you embody the fact that you are dependent upon the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And so in other words, you don't lead from a place of self-righteousness. You don't lead from a place of saying, hey, I've graduated from the school of Jesus, the school of Christ, and now I've moved on to this other realm, why don't you all catch up with me? In other words, elders are those, pastors are those who should lead demonstrating that dependence upon the grace of Christ, the first to repent, the first to say I was wrong, the first to demonstrate what it means to live in light of the grace of Jesus Christ. And then the second reality, he says, is that they are a witness, or not only a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So what is he talking about? There's dependence on Christ, as, and that's how you have new life, but then also, you are a witness of the glory, the reality of life in Jesus, and you embody that. That you see that all of our life is meant to be lived as this time of exile we're passing through, but ultimately for eternity, we're going to be with Jesus. So everything you live for, the goals that you you drive, the you lead the church towards, all those things, those are should demonstrate an eternal perspective, living your life ultimately for the glory of God. And so, Peter, what he's saying here is that pastors are not meant to be people. Who are who are revered as those who have like somehow ascended this new level. And boy, if we could just all get there, then we wouldn't actually need Jesus anymore. It's almost like Jesus is the ladder. I've climbed the ladder, and then I kick it down because I'm like, I don't need the ladder anymore, guys. I'm up here. Why don't you climb the ladder? That's not how the pastor is meant to operate. Instead, the pastor is meant to operate by demonstrating in their leadership and in the conduct of their life complete dependence upon the suffering of Jesus Christ upon the cross and His grace, His blood that was shed. And then also living in light of the fact that their life is found in Jesus Christ and that is where joy is found. Pastors lead through demonstration. Pastors lead through dependence upon Christ. I've heard said well that really for biblical leadership, we have all these models out there of leadership, and and really at the end of the day, biblical leadership is really followership. Biblical leadership is really followership. That we're learning to follow Christ, to live in dependence upon Christ, to see the direction and, 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 and look for the wisdom and discern the wisdom of Christ and what steps we are to take as the people of God. In other words, the criterion is not smarts, speaking abilities, strategy. Those all have their place as skills to be used for the kingdom of God. But ultimately, that's not what Peter says is most important. And he says out of those realities, out of those realities, then he says shepherd. So notice he says as a witness and as a partaker, shepherd in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so what he says is your primary work, then out of that, that place of dependence, that place of, 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 of finding life in Christ, out of that, then lead the people of God. One thing I should say right there that's so important to catch is that means we, the leaders of a church, cannot lead you where they are not going. They cannot give you what they do not have. The biblical model is that we are led by the Spirit of God. We are led by the Word of God. We are led by the Spirit of God into the future and whatever this next chapter is. And in the midst of that, we are led and we are dependent upon Jesus Himself. And out of that, then we lead. If we don't have that, then we have nothing actually to give other than our own persuasion and our manipulation. We'll come back to that one. But Jesus, or Paul says, they are to shepherd. Now, some of you are like, okay, so shepherding. What, what is shepherding, right? Because none of the first generation cont, or first century context, they would have known immediately what this meant. In our day, though, none of you are going to be like driving home, stopping McDonald's, and while you're sitting there in the drive-thru, you're like, oh, there goes a the shepherd with the sheep, right? None of you are going to have that happen. So what does this mean, shepherding? Well, there are several different ways to understand shepherding, things that we could focus on. I, I, I think it might be helpful actually here to bring up the chart that'll capture some of this. Here's how a shepherd operates. One, as I said, a shepherd, number one, is a qualified man. It's got to be someone who meets the demands of Scripture, which those are laid out in 1 Timothy 3. They're laid out in Titus. Uh, But also, it's a plurality of men, that it's not one man. It's not a cult of personality, but there are actually multiple men that all have equal authority and influence, and they mutually submit to one another. Okay, so there's not any one person, there's kind of a, a balancing there, a checks and balances that's happening there, and so there's a plurality of those men. And so right now, I mutually submit to the other men on the elder team, they mutually submit to me, we work as a team, there aren't things where I just come and I just go, we're going here, and they go, yes, it's meant to be a plurality. But then what we do is we actually point the people of God towards God. Again, we point to Christ, and that's ultimately through the Word of God and prayer. Those are the means God has given us, that the way that we point, we motivate with the Word of God, and that's the Word of God is what changes hearts, right? And that we'll pray for the Spirit of God to confirm those things and to work in your lives. We are not the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit in your life. Imagine that. And so we point you to the Lord. Now, uh, by the way, that's why as Protestants, we don't use the term priest right? So uh, w- the term priest means that you mediate the presence of God. They have to go to you in order to get to God. No, 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 no. We minister. We minister, and we point to Jesus. You have complete access. There's no mediator between God and man, but Jesus Christ himself. And so we, mediate, we minister with the word of God. We minister to you prayer in order to, en- en- so you would engage more deeply and directly with Jesus. We're going to equip you for that. So then with the people, and this comes back to that thing of shepherding, what is the relationship with leading God's people, leading God's flock? What it means is first, one of those is feed or profit. Um, some of the terminology you don't worry about. Really what it is is that we would, one thing a shepherd does is they feed the sheep. A shepherd makes sure that the sheep have what they need, that they don't starve to death. One of the things I think about with preaching is that I'm feeding you every Sunday, right? I'm, I'm, that's one, one, the best feedback I ever got from a sermon was I had this friend uh, he was from Cameroon, Africa, and I remember he'd come up to me after when I would, whenever I'd teach and he'd go, you fed me, you fed me, it was good. And, he would, and I was like, oh, it's just so, it was, I was like, yes, that's what we're doing, we're just feeding on God's Word. We're feasting together on God's Word when we gather together. And so we want to feed you both equipping, Sunday morning, all kinds of ways. We want to feed you with the Word of God. But then also, we, wanna, we need to know you. We need to know, a shepherd knows, feeds, leads and protects. I'll break down each of those. So We also know you. It means we care for you. We know what's going on in your life. Notice that what Peter says here is it's the flock of God, which one, by the way, that means you belong to Jesus, not any man, belong to Jesus, you're the flock of God. Jesus' means, Jesus' will, Jesus' leading, Jesus' presence, Jesus. I didn't purchase you. No elder here, no elder in the world purchased you by his own blood. Jesus purchased you by his own blood. Only Jesus could raise you from the grave. But shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So also notice that means that you have to be close enough to know the sheep to be a healthy church leader. This is huge in our day. And I think it takes a lot of wisdom to think about what does this mean with technology and whatnot, communication technologies. But this does mean that both you and I need to have, be close enough to a local church to have pastors or elders in our life. And I, as an elder, need to not remove myself in such a way that I'm not actually present knowing what's going on in people's lives. So I think one of the things that this means, the church is gonna have to grapple with a lot, is yes, we can do a lot of things with technology from distance, but we do need someone who actually knows what's going on in our life. Someone who can see our blind spots and whatnot. Close enough so that we can go to. And so there's a presence. We know, so we feed, we know, we lead. That there's also an aspect of looking ahead and where are we going and, uh, and, and how do we structure things and how do we use finances and all those things and discerning them together as a plurality. But then also the last one is to protect. A shepherd protects the sheep. Something Paul talks about in Acts 20, he says that as soon as I leave, I know that wolves will come in among you. And so there's a need for pastors to be engaged enough in the local church to know and see when there are things that are coming in that will consume the sheep and to protect. And so shepherding, here's the thing, shepherding is not at the end of the day for entertainment. The church leadership, my, my call, the call of the elders, the, the thing that you should hold church leadership accountable to is not to entertain. It's not just to run everything like a business and just run it smoothly in that way. It's not just a just numbers thing to just get bigger, to just be more exciting, but instead it's to shepherd. Now all those other things can happen, and there's a place for some of those different things, but ultimately it's to shepherd. We'll probably come back to this a little bit, but here's the thing. I should ask here, because I'm about ready to go into where there are a lot of things that, where, where shepherding goes wrong. But I think one of the things that we have to own as a church culture, and I, I own this as someone coming into the church before I was a pastor. I did not hold pastors accountable to these things, to these metrics. I held pastors accountable to whether they essentially give me what I want make me feel how I want to feel, how else could I put it? Uh, Just reinforce my theological thoughts or stances. In other words, what I I came to is I was coming to something on Sunday morning that would just be a pick-me-up, leave me alone, earn that, let me live my life, and then when I do mess up, just tell me it's all okay. There are a lot of ways that we as the church have created this culture of where we find ourselves, where we just put on concerts and we're actually not really churches in any true biblical sense. And I think it starts with all us reflecting on, are there ways and expectations I've put on church leaders that are just not healthy, that are just things that are actually force away from the attention of these things? And I think it's something I've had to think through a lot because then I started putting them on myself once I was a pastor and I realized how crushing they absolutely were. And so, one of the things here is just what are the metrics that we're using to measure healthy church leadership? It's meant to point us to God, meant to point us to Christ. We'll come back to that. But Peter said it's meant to point us to Christ. But on the other hand, if we don't have that, it'll point us to man. Church leadership then will point us to man. So, that's what Peter lays out next. Uh, what I said at the beginning was I know that this topic of leadership uh, strikes and is heavy in a lot of different ways. It makes some of you cringe. Uh, last spring, I actually preached on this passage just uh, like five months ago. <laughs> so I'm not preaching the same sermon, I'm coming out from a different angle. Uh, but one thing that I opened up with an illustration of in the Middle East, there was this tour bus. And uh, this tour bus driver was kind of a, a, a explaining some biblical, laying out some biblical realities while they were doing the, the tour to these Westerners. And he, they passed a field where there's a shepherd shepherding the sheep and they were following the sheep. And he said, ah, oh, look how a shepherd always, the sheep know his voice, right? That's very John 10. They know his voice and they hear his voice and they follow him, right? And he leads them to green pastures and whatnot, right? And they're like, oh, that's cool. Then they, they drive a little bit farther and then they're at the stop sign. they look over, and this boy raises his hand and goes, look, there's a shepherd, but he's, he's driving the sheep from behind. And the tour bus driver looks over, and he's like, huh, that's interesting. So he gets off the bus, and he goes over, and he talks to the guy in the field, and he comes back, and he has a smile on his face. He says, well, uh, that wasn't a shepherd. That's a butcher. And what he discovered was the butcher put on the, they look like a shepherd, use all the shepherds' tools, but he was driving from behind and swatting, and the sheep knew. The sheep knew. Because the sheep knew that that kind of force, that kind of, that wasn't true leadership of a shepherd. Just driving them, beating them, manipulating them, barking at them. And the reason why I bring up that illustration, and if you want to reflect, that sermon more went into, why are we so prone to turning to butchers versus shepherds? That's what that sermon really went into. So if you're interested in that dynamic, it's on the website, you can listen to it. But the question is, or the thing for you is, some of you, I know this is heavy because you're barely able to still be in a church because you've encountered a butcher. You, you, you have encountered someone who's manipulated you, you've encountered somebody who's ground you into the ground. You, you just felt like a cog in a machine. And let me just say, that, that was wrong. It's wrong. It's not biblical leadership, and you are meant to be pointed to Jesus and be led with the means that Jesus has given to shepherds. One of the, I know some of you might be like, maybe this is an overstatement, right, Pastor? Maybe you're kind of listening too much to those voices and you're responding. Here's something that came out Monday night: Barna Research with Millennials. So this is born from 1984 to 19 or 2002. The question was, essentially, of these types of authority figures in our culture, do you trust them to tell the truth or do what is right? In the 18 to 24 group, the answer was for pastors of Christian churches, only 22%. 25 to 37-year-olds, 27%. Now, to give you an idea, when this is older generations, this number never dips below like 60%, even amongst non-believers. Now, you might be saying, whoa, you know, by the way, that's like just above elected officials, (laughs) politicians, and right below college professors, okay? Now, you might say, well, maybe that's just because, you know, it brings in the whole nation, but here in the Midwest, the heartland, man, we love our pastors, right? Let's go to the next graph. Uh, The lowest region is Midwest, only 19%. Everyone else, the West Coast and the Northeast are actually bringing us up. And you might say then, well, why is there such mistrust amongst pastors? Um, that's just because people are non-believers. They're just critical of the church. Bring up the next chart as far as for Christians. Those who identify it as Christian, I didn't highlight it, but that first one number there, only 34%. Not a ton better. Now, I know uh, that we could say, well, poo-poo it. And, you know, they just, They're just a suspicious generation and whatnot and rail on it and say this, this, and that. And they don't understand the, the need. But why is it dropping off a cliff? And I think the reality is because we're becoming so aware of where church leadership has led the church in a way that, honestly, a lot of times is not very healthy. In other words, we could just rail against it or we could actually do look at what Jesus says, which is, honestly, what will happen is that eventually if you hear the voice of a stranger, you will not respond. And I think we are seeing by the millions, that's not even the numbers of those in the lower generation who are leaving the church. It says in John 10, Jesus says about Pastor, he says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him they do not know the voice of strangers. Perhaps what's happening is that people aren't, are rejecting the voice of strangers, of under-shepherds who are pointing to themselves. What Peter does, and I think with that, one of the things that's confusing is, how do we know that well? Well, Peter gives three characteristics of a stranger. He says, these are the things to let guide you and think about. And they're man-centered. They point to man around man's ego, man's goals, and man's control. First one, man's ego. He says that they are to shepherd not under compulsion but willingly. Let your shepherding be done not under compulsion but willingly. The NIV puts it really well. It says, not because you must but because you are willing. Now, you ask, why would Peter have to say this? And why in the world would any kind of a pastor be doing something under compulsion? Here's, why does he say it? Because here's the thing. If shepherding becomes about you, if, if my shepherding becomes about me, that means it'll be about my ego, what I, at the end of the day, want, what to me is ultimately valuable. And what happens is that most of real, biblical, true shepherding makes very, very, very little of my ego, on a daily, I know right now I'm standing up, you're like, you're, you stand in front of hundreds of people and talk to them. How could that not be about your ego? I get it, but here's the thing. this is one hour of my week. Most of the week, the reality is in the New Testament that growth, what we all need as sheep, what I need. the growth that Jesus uses, agricultural metaphors. Why? Because growth is like a plant. It's like grass growing, right? but we don't like that. We like, we, we're like, Jesus used microwave examples, right? Like Jesus is like, and then bam, and then all of a sudden I was like a full mature Christian, right? I, had full, I was like a, like a chia pet, right? Like overnight. And that's, that's, the kind of, that's what we want Jesus to do, but he says, no, and, and here's the thing. It's, it's rough planting and watering, and it takes patience, and it takes kindness. And here's the thing. If I want to build an empire right now, then that ain't going to work. In other words the day-to-day realities of slowing down of walking of of nurturing they don't make much of man's ego they don't make much of any of our ego and we are so dependent like paul says i plant apollo's watered but god provides the growth even when you do it it's actually without god doing it it's completely futile There's nothing about true biblical growth. You can take joy in it and being a part of it, but you can't take credit for it. And that leaves very little for ego. But what happens is we like to make it about ego. We like to make it about the compulsion to power, like transactional, I'll do this. I'll I'll do it if I get something, if I get power, if I get influence, if I get money. Approval. Every pastor struggles with something. I struggle with these things. The heart of it, there's so many things that then we make ministry about, and then what happens is that points to the church because then it makes it all about me and what I want and my desires and puts me at the center. And then here I am. It's as if I imagine if in the wedding photo, I actually walked up in front of the bride and the groom, and it was like they're getting ready to take the photo, and I was like, ching, right? Like, you're like, "This is what's wrong with this pastor? Like, I'm like, this... What, guys? This whole thing is actually about me. The whole reason why the bride and the groom are here are for me, the whole reason why the wedding is happening is for me, the whole, don't you see, I'm in the center. When it becomes about man's ego, what happens is man begins to assert himself, and guess what? That points the church to certain realities, and it shapes the church and how the church engages in mission, and the expectations for one another, and how they serve one another. I'll probably come back to that one. But moving on, there's a, and here's what I should say too, this is why one of our key ways of identifying those who become elders or pastors is that we look for men who are serving that don't have the titles, that serve where they don't have titles, they don't have prestige, but we see them not under compulsion, like I'm trying to get something here, but instead they serve when actually, because that's what it usually looks like, is in the background serving in ways that will never be known in this world. They won't be known until they're made known in the eternal courts. And we look for men who are doing that because that's the heart of a shepherd. The list progresses. If it's about man's ego... They'll be focused on man's goals. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, Peter isn't saying there is no gain in ministry. Elsewhere, what you see is that there is is great gain, but it's what you gain. That it's glorious gain. It's not shameful gain, but it's glorious gain. It's this gain that is you gain Christ. You gain this joy of seeing others come alive to Jesus. You gain this reality that is eternal. Shameful gain is something that exploits ministry and people for ego's goals, man's goals, eclipsing Jesus as the center of attention. And what happens is that also points. Make the church about the platform I want to build and make the church about the kingdom I want to build. Make the the church about whatever my daddy issues that make me want to prove myself to people, whatever, we do all kinds of crazy things. It's the hardest thing in the world and most impossible is to know our own motivations and things. But what can happen so easily is that that takes over the church and the goal becomes whatever I want to be the goal. And when that becomes the goal, then the means to the goal are people. And the church just becomes the grist for the mill. When I say the church, I mean the sheep, the flock of God. The flock of God that is among us just becomes the sheep we can slaughter to just parasitically take from their life to make this thing go. And if, that's, if you have a goal, that can justify any of those kinds of means. And it becomes about just what I want. And this, oh, there's a podcast many of you have heard of on this topic, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And there is a quote from it that strikes at the, they capture the mindset of the mindset of the workplace and the mindset of the leadership and the drive of the church that end up just churning through people and running over people and the pastors leveraging their spiritual authority to control people, which we're going to go into next. But this is what they said. They said, we're going to ground them into the dirt if we have to, because God needs us. You know why? Because that's how it works. That's the machine. You make bread out of their bones and you serve it to people for communion. Make bread out of their bones and you serve it to people for communion. If Jesus is not the source of life, if Jesus is not the goal of the church, then what will happen is that the sheep will become the source of life for the church, and it'll be by their blood and their lives that that man-centered kingdom is built. We're going to come to, so what do we do, right? You're like, ah, this is, this is serious, right? It's very serious. We're going to come to that in a moment. Last one, it progresses then to If you don't, if it's man's ego and it's man's goals, then it's going to necessitate man's control. Peter says, not domineering. By being examples to the flock. That, that word for domineering in the Greek just comes from the word, it's a preposition over and then the word king. In other words, to lord it over them. We shouldn't be shepherding in such a way that lords it over them. In other words, what happens is, that, here's what I would say, the frank reality is if the church has become about man's ego and about man's goals, and at that point, it doesn't need God. In fact, if anything, it might be against God. And so, what happens is it necessitates that the pastor takes the place of the Holy Spirit and the power and his personality and his ability to push and manipulate and squeeze a little bit more out of people is the only way that the church moves forward. And he completely takes the effect of the Holy Spirit. And it's wrong. pastor becomes never wrong, never reproachable, uses Scripture even to corner and control. You know this when a position or a title is being utilized, leveraged to shut people up, to push people, to force them to submission, just like the butcher behind driving to where I find life, not where you will find life. It rules over them, lords it over them, because in that reality, what happens is man becomes sovereign, not God. Elders don't just lead at that point, they rule, they dominate. What are responses to this? Hopefully I describe the reality of it. Unfortunately, some may know the reality and be able to put flesh on that even more. Two responses. One is, I would say first, actually before this, is become members of a local church. And here's part of why. Becoming members of a local church is saying, I am here. and, And it helps as elders, as pastors, to shepherd, to know that you're here. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Make it a joy to be subject to your, your pastors, to your elders, right? And for them to lead you. Because I need to know because they will be held accountable one day, it says. I'm going to be held accountable before God for how I care for his flock. Think about that. So I need to know who, who are the members of the flock I'm supposed to shepherd. <laughs> I want to know who those are. You need to know who's the elder, who's responsible, who I can turn to. And also part of that is because what I was going to say here is that as the church, we need to hold leadership to biblical standards for elders. You know, this is where if we have bad metrics for leadership, it, it goes all, right, we're just looking for business leaders, we're just leading for personalities and personas, we're just looking for somebody who can give a bunch of money, we're looking for all these things, and what happens is we don't look at what does God present as the qualifications, the heart of a shepherd. So here's the thing, I'm just pleading with you, as, as members, like next Friday when we vote, be there. And I can tell you about all the, I mean, we've done just sort of like a CIA investigation into these guys, right? We want to know. We talk to their wives. We want to, if their children are old enough, we're talking to them. We're talking to the neighbors. We're talking to the coworkers. We're doing all this theological stuff. It takes a long time. It's in depth. But you should know those things. You should know they're happening and feel confident, which is why we are presenting them with our recommendation for your approval. But that's why there's that process. I would say engage. Make sure that's healthy. I, I believe we do have a healthy Uh, flow or system of what we're working but always make sure that that's held to biblical standards and then second I would say pray for your elders here's the thing I used to critique pastors and never pray for them and then I became a pastor (laughs) and here's here's the frank reality is that when you become a pastor there is a target that is on your back the enemy would love to embarrass Jesus and bring shame on the church by me falling, by other elders following, falling. I would say the source of the power throughout Peter's letter, he keeps saying, do this or else I will remove, God won't hear your prayers. He says that twice in the letter. Why is that? Because we go, well, why wouldn't God, well, here's the thing, because he's removing the source of power the source of power that we have, the source of transformation, everything in this church, our our ability to have wisdom and follow where God is leading and do that really precisely, that's all from God. And the saints need to be going before the Lord and asking him to do that, or else what does it do? It just reinforces. We don't go to God. We're not dependent upon him. This guy and his personality and his wisdom and his thoughts and his strategy, that's what gets us there. Do you see how dangerous that is? Church, we need to be a church who is on our knees praying and asking, Lord, would you protect these families? These me, my wife, our kids. Would you, as these men are coming into eldership, these three men especially, be praying for them? Here's the thing. I would say it like this. My, my wife. People ask me, like, you know, how do you just trust your husband so well? And it, she could say, well, for 12 years of marriage, he's been faithful and all this stuff. But here's what she says. She says it's not because I trust Matt. It's because I trust the work that the Lord is doing in him. Remember the first time she said that I was like, dang. I'm married to Lady Wisdom, right? But it's true. Like how does she okay that's good, but what about the next 12 years? Our egos are big. Our we we have these sinful things that come up in our hearts all the time. And here's the thing, church, I'm pleading with you. Make sure your prayers are bigger. Pray that Christ would be bigger in our lives. We are fallen men, and Jesus humbles all of us by saying, yes, it is not a work that you can do, but you do it by my power, so come to me for the power. Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say it, says it like this, we are your guardians, and you are the flock of God. Reflect and see that our perils are greater than yours, and pray for us. This befits both you, us and you, that we may be able to give a good account of you to the prince of pastors in our universal head, Listen, when we are dependent upon the Lord like that, when this becomes our culture, church, this absolutely changes how we live with one another. That's where we're going to end. How biblical leadership shapes or cultivates the shepherding culture, points to Jesus. Jesus, Peter says in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, Jesus is the chief shepherd. All of our shepherding is under shepherding according to his shepherding, according to his lead. So it means elders, pastors, we're under shepherds. Jesus is the lead head pastor of this church. And when we point to him, it creates a culture of what really matters. Because what Peter says is, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. If you shepherd like this, if you cultivate this in the church, what will happen is one day you will receive the crown of glory. Now, I'm I've said this before, I'm not like, when they talk about the crown jewelry language, I'm not like a jewelry guy. Like when I think about like one day, like it's like, hey, you're gonna get a crown when you die. And I'm like, I, I just, it just doesn't motivate me. Like it's, so I, I kind of struggle at, Like I'm the guy, like I look at the championships, right? And they have like the big rings and they're like, like Tom Brady's like, uh, right? And there's like the I'm like, that just looks painful. Like what, do you really wear those around everywhere? Although it would be cool to get a Starbucks drink that way, wouldn't it? Uh, but they're like, I, what, what, what's this jewelry language? I, I don't think it's just you get jewelry, and then all of a sudden in heaven one day, it's like, oh, wow, there goes a pastor. And I'm like, ding, 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 right? And they're like blowing a trumpet while I walk around like, ah, oh, he was in ministry. He did a lot. He's got a huge crown. And I'm just walking around going like, this crown's really heavy. Could I get something else, right? And so, whereas you got a tiny little crown, right? Like, I don't think that's what's being said here. What's being, it's not a reward. It's not a payment for what you do. It's a statement, what he's saying is the statement of your life will be it was meant for what is glorious and lasting. The crowns were actually something that was made of this red that the athletes would get, and it would be made of this red flower, and it was this unfading, unperishing red. And what, 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 what? Peter is saying is, give your life for what will last, which is people. Jesus came for people. That is the glory of God, that in the midst of a sinful, fallen world, he entered it and he redeemed those who would be lost. He's after each and every one of you. And he says, don't go looking to build these platforms and build all these other things and focusing your energy there. Don't you see how much joy there is in seeing just one individual, their eyes opening and them seeing me for the first time and your whole life just being given to me and my glory and my love and my delights and this joy. That's what life is for because that's what's, what is preparing us for all of eternity. This is just passing through. And that's why actually what happens is they're not parading their, throne, their crowns around in heaven and comparing them. They're actually laying them down at the, the feet of Jesus. When it talks about getting crowns, then in Revelation they lay it down. It says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and sang. And imagine this being the statement of your life. Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Imagine that the very movement of you laying down that crown is the very movement of your life throughout your life, just pointing to Jesus. It's you, Jesus. You are worthy, and then finding joy that will never fade. Church, here's the thing. We get to do life with one another. We get to model this with one another. This way, he goes into verse 5, likewise, you who are younger. By the way, I don't think he's just talking about like teenagers, like teenagers, listen up. I think he's saying younger in terms of those younger in the faith, not elders. It's kind of a play on words. So the whole church, in other words, be subject to the elders, follow them, listen to them. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Why? Because when you clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, we're not just hypercritical. We're not just trying to tear down. With humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What happens is all of us, we create a culture where we seek the crown. We seek one another to know Jesus, where we don't walk into the church thinking about how can I build a platform. My biggest fear, and this, if we have created this, I repent right now of it. we don't want you to see how we lead in such a way that it says what you need to be able to follow Jesus faithfully is you need to build whatever this is and have like popularity and get a ton of followers and be just super eloquent and, be, and, and people come to you all the time and like they're dependent upon you and whatever it might be, success or whatever vision you have, here's the thing, that is not ultimately the pattern what Jesus gave us. He gave us a pattern of shepherding one another. And imagine how simple that makes church, how much less expensive that makes church. (laughs) One of the things we've been talking about lately with looking at those charts and looking at, the staff is going to do a whole in-depth study of that study tomorrow from the Barna Group. Because what we really see, there's one thing culturally, one thing, of all the concepts and topics that they positive or negative response to, conservative politics, 11%, progressive, liberal, 13 percent, socialism, won't say the number, it'll scare you, but the one number that's still high and has a low negative response to, Jesus Christ. We still know ultimately who Jesus is and who he said he is, and we need to simply as a church be pointing one another to him and able to point everyone in our lives around us, not to some concert, not to some experience, not to some some lifestyle promotion, but to Jesus, to life in Him. And I'm telling you, church, that is where we're going, that is where we're headed. I'm so thankful that as a church, I think in a healthy way, we hold ourselves to these standards. But the vision is that we will become a church, increasingly become a church where Jesus is pointed to. He is who we value because He is worth our life and he will bring joy into our lives for forevermore. That is our king. That is our chief shepherd. That is who is worth giving our lives for, laying down our lives for, because that is a glory that is unfading and lasts forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you. Lord, for your church. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, that you modeled the leadership we need. Jesus, you modeled not just that we would get busy and we would prove ourselves or try to atone from our sense of guilt or whatever it is that drives us, Lord, that you entered the world and you said, follow me and watch. I will lay down my life. The deepest questions of who am I? What should I do? What am I here for? What do I have? Do I have enough? All those things have been met in you, Jesus. So we're not coming out of a place of lack, but out of an overflow of joy and provision and goodness, your goodness, your grace. So Jesus, teach us to walk in your life. Tether us to you, Jesus. Make us a church after you. And Lord, I pray right now for all the other churches in Columbia. I pray for them. I pray for their pastors. Lord, I pray that right now throughout this city, Lord, you would do a revival. Not just bring numbers into churches, butts in seats, bigger budgets, bigger buildings. Whatever comes with those comes. But Lord, at the center, you do a revival of throughout this city, people coming alive to seeing you, Jesus, and holding you as glorious and finding joy and life in you. You do this work. We are dependent upon you. You are our chief shepherd. And you we follow, and to you we point. In Jesus' name, amen.